Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Two Brothers, One Mike, Season 4, Episode 19. With us today is Dr. Rentilla, where we'll be talking about psychological eating disorders. Tony, Doc, how are we doing today? I'm good. How are you guys? I'm doing good. Uh, Joe, you're doing good, I, I, I guess. Yes, as Joe, well, maybe as, so. As, as well as can be, yeah. Yeah, I'm, we, me, uh, Joe and I were just discussing... Uh, some issues that uh, the transportation in our hometown is having with moving students around uh, and getting bus, you know, bus drivers and everything that goes into getting a CDL license. And then you have to go through all these classes because you're working with children. And, um, and so we were discussing that. So I guess that's, that's the, that's, yeah, that's been quite the headache um, for everybody involved. I think over the past, uh, how long has this been going on now? A week. At least a couple of weeks. Uh, I and mean, with last, no end in sight. <laughs> last week we actually had a day where they canceled school that it, it had gotten so bad. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was home at that point from Lansing, Michigan. But um, I don't. So that being said, uh, we can't do. That's one of those situations in life where all we can do is follow, follow the you know the rules and the policies, and and the school has to figure that whole thing out. So uh prayers for them um it's it is crazy right now how hard it is to get people to to do i mean you know you don't know is is it a going to work problem or uh is it is it people don't want to do that particular kind of work we never had that problem when it came to bus drivers no and and i don't know what the retention issues are you know but yeah it just is what it is yeah exactly the turnover is crazy but um, so that being said, today's show has nothing to do with that, uh, at all. Um, I don't think, I don't know if this, if somehow we could tie this together. Um, sort of like the, what is it? The seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, where you can tie eating <laughs> disorders to, to bus driver retention. I don't know. Um, if we could, <laughs> if we, if we pull this off, uh, we'll be famous, but that being said, before we do anything, uh, like what we always like to do when we speak to you, and for that matter, everybody that we interview, but we've spoken to you several times now about this, and that's to talk about your foundation. And 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 so, you know, people who have not listened to a show yet where we've interviewed you, where we talk about so many different psychological um, issues, uh, what, is, again, if you could, so that, you know, and Joe obviously will include the links to the foundation in the description of this podcast for people who want to uh, learn more about it or possibly even donate. So the, the Rantilla yeah. Foundation. The Rantilla Scholarship Foundation. Yes, yes. And um, we, our website is almost ready to go. We do have a Facebook page now. And the plan is over the next week or so, we're going to launch, um, do a big launch and pull in a bunch of, um, you know, followers on Facebook so that we can really promote the Rantilla Scholarship Foundation on Giving Tuesday. Um, because that's kind of our goal is to, with the holiday season and thereafter, to start to bring in followers and people who are aware of what we're doing. And Giving Tuesday is coming up. And then pretty soon we'll be getting through these holidays. They'll go like that, you know it. And then after that, it'll be our fundraising season in preparation for handing out our scholarship in the spring of 2023. And we'll continue the Charlotte Rantilla Memorial Scholarship at Girard High School for a student pursuing a helping profession 
teaching, social work, nursing, psychology. Um, and then this will be the inaugural year in 2023 for a Christina Rantilla Scholarship at Sharon High School in honor of my mother. And then um, the William Rantilla Tra Field Trade Scholarship at Labrae in honor of my father. Mm. And that's the one that our friend Tim Nash um, sponsored and we'll start this year. And and uh, again, um, uh, to, to Mr. Tim Nash, uh, as we've said uh, in the previous show where we interviewed you, uh, thank you again, sir. Uh, that was um, extremely generous. And I know that Dr. Rentilla was extremely, extremely excited when, when um, he made that donation um, because this Absolutely. is something very near and dear to your heart. So um, I'm glad we could be a part of that. And, uh, and well, I really appreciate it because it's getting the word out. And like I said, the Facebook page right now doesn't have a lot of content, but we are working very diligently. And so once we have the website ready, what I want to do is I want to start letting people know who we are, why we exist, why this foundation came to be, who are the people on our board who are women that I have known a long time that were my late sister's good friends who have who are, I think, movers and shakers in the community and have a lot to offer and who are all very dedicated to helping students who want to further their education in whatever way that is to have some means to do that and also just honor their hard work. Yeah, and so folks, as we said, Joe is going to share the links in the description of the podcast and simply click on them, learn a little more about what the uh, Rantilla Scholarship Foundation is all about. And uh, if you were listening, obviously, we are only months, not even weeks away, possibly from uh, a website that they can go to, as well as a Facebook yeah, page. It'll be yeah. ready. So Giving Tuesday is that Tuesday after Thanksgiving, okay. the 29th of November. Mm -hmm. So the website and everything will be ready by then. Like I said, Facebook is live. You can, if you were to follow us at Rantilla uh, scholarship foundation on Facebook. Um, you'll already be linked in to know when we start to post content information on how to donate through the website. Awesome. Awesome. Always. Um, that being said, I hate, hey, there I go again with that, Joe. I always say <laughs> that being said, or what's the other term that I always use and things of that nature. I always say that, and it makes it seem <laughs> like what we just talked about was not something important. That is something I have to work on. I don't know why I always do that. Um, so again, folks, please click on the link and learn more about that very important uh, foundation that is growing, and uh, I would love to see it grow times 10 in 2023 for sure. So would I. Yeah, I really I, want to move in. Like I said, the, the initial places were chosen. Gerard, that's my late sister's alma mater. Sharon High right. School is my late mother's alma mater. Um, my father, he is a proud graduate of Levittsburg. That's now Lebray. And he is super excited that he actually gets to see that scholarship be given in his name. And my, my, my mission, once I got these flagship ones started, is to really move into communities that don't get a lot of donors and don't get a lot of support for their academics, for their skilled trades, so that those students can be acknowledged. Students who 
really, really could benefit the most from some support going to college. Yeah. And I, I keep telling people and, and Joe, I know we've mentioned this before skilled trades is not going away. It's growing by leaps no. and bounds and we are going to need our skilled tradesmen uh, for decades and decades and centuries to come. Um, so uh, I think that's a fantastic idea for sure. Um, when it comes to today's show, I'm going to, the elephant's in the room and it's that people say, and we, you, you and I have already talked via a quick text message about this. Uh, It's that people say that eating disorders, which is a very big problem that not only in uh, uh, the United States of America, but I, I was doing some research in Australia, the United Kingdom, um, and so many other countries are having this particular problem. And it's the way, I, I guess it's the way it has been addressed in the past and how we're trying to change the mentality and how it should be addressed. A lot of people, until this day, they still feel this way and felt this way all the way into the 1970s and 1980s, feel that eating disorders are simply an individual's battle with food. Um, uh, And it's not that. It's so much more complex than that. It's so much more about the psyche. It's so much more about um, dysmorphia, uh, body image, um, fat shaming, thin shaming, uh, and, and... so many more things I think we're going to talk about today. What is your viewpoint? I know it, but what is your viewpoint on people who misunderstand how serious this is and how it is more complex from a psychological standpoint than just somebody's dislike for food? It's about so much more than food. And there are a lot of There's a lot of new studies that talk about some of the biological underpinnings of eating disorders. And we know a couple things. We know that the parts of the brain that regulate emotions, oftentimes there's disruption there, meaning that a person struggles to identify their feelings. There's a fancy word called alexithymia. And alexithymia means that the person has a hard time identifying how they feel. And so that can include struggling to label, understand and then label, am I sad, happy, angry, and things like that, as well as am I full, am I hungry? So there's that research that's talking about how the brain works in terms of processing emotions and states of being. So hungry isn't an emotion, but it is a state of being, just like cold, warm, uncomfortable, things like that. But the same brain areas are processing those things. We also know that there's been some studies that implicate the same structures of the brain that we see kind of maybe struggling to function in typical ways with addiction. And so there are some people who will struggle with eating in certain ways, and there is an addictive nature to it because they get a desired result. And then that part of the brain, like the pleasure centers, um, are activated. And so we tend to kind of seek those same results. So just like you say, you know, those phrases that you say habitually, our our human experience in many ways is primed for habit. If something works, we like to do it again. And sometimes to our own detriment. And the example I use a lot is gambling. 
that if you picture a person sitting at a slot machine and it might pay off one time out of a hundred, that high, that gratification, however you, the person labels it of getting paid off prompts them to do it again. It's also the same philosophy that children use. If you gave in to your child one time, they're going to ask you a thousand times now. Um, and again, we kind of see how that happens. And so what happens is, um, unfortunately, on that note, when people start to lose weight, whether it's via a healthy way or, or a less functional healthy way, many times they do get positive social feedback. Oh, you look good. You look great. Look at you losing weight. And when I'm treating a client for an eating disorder, I cringe because that's honestly sometimes the last thing I want them to hear. But again, people don't know. So, so, so social acceptance is a huge part of this. Um, and let me ask you this question when it comes to social acceptance. Social media, which is going to be a show that we're going to have in the future uh, on Two Brothers, One Mike, and the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to that. We put ourselves out there now, and I, this is something, and tell me if this is something you notice as well. People, uh, they they doctor their photos up, and I can't think of the word that, that people, they put, yeah, they filter their photos in order to make themselves look a certain way, whether it's younger, skinnier, um, it, if there's an imperfection on their face that they do not like, they make sure that they filter it out. Is that in some way, shape or form related to the eating disorder? And so if somebody feels like they are heavier, they make themselves look skinnier. So what I'm saying is, is this, how much of a problem is the fact that now we have Instagram Facebook, Twitter, people putting their their faces, their 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 bodies, their images on on these particular social media sites, and so they want to look a certain way. And there's that fear of people actually meeting them in person because there's nothing you can do about that. You can't filter the way you look in person. And so, is it compounding the problem when it comes to the eating disorders? It is, and it's a really tough issue to tackle because, let's face it, social media isn't going anywhere. It has a lot of positive uses and implications, but it's not going anywhere. And so what happens is social media, um, to quote my best friend, Sue, who is an, a, an expert on social media and marketing, she talks about how um, they gamify these things. So... Um, anything from online dating to um, photo apps, it's like a little game, Snapchat, where you can change everything and it, you get instant gratification about how you want to look. The issue is, is that I can filter to high heaven my photo and then I'm going to look in the mirror and I'm not going to look like that. So if somebody already has any self-image difficulties, any insecurities or body dysmorphia, they're creating one image and looking in the mirror and seeing another. And the brain can't reconcile that. The brain has a hard time with that. And so then it, it's just, it's a tough breeding ground for these, these disorders to occur. Yeah. And folks, I, this is something that I always, and not just the folks that are, that are watching or listening to the show today, but uh, also speaking to my co-host Joe and obviously to Dr. Rentella. Something I always believe in is 
in order to begin to solve a problem, you have to know where the problem came, you have to know where it originated. You have to understand the historical data in order to then make it better, um, to put it simply. And so what I want to do is I want to go to our sponsor uh, and hear this ad uh, for our folks out there. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, I'm going to point out some things with historical data and get your take on it as well. Don't go anywhere, anybody. We're going to be right back right after this ad. Stay right there. Two Brothers, One Mike is sponsored by YSN, your sports network. Loyal, local, live. Hey, everyone. It's Joe from Two Brothers, One Mike. For all of our sports enthusiasts out there from the Northeast Ohio and Western Pennsylvania area with busy schedules, we know you can't always make it to the big game. Well, we have some great news for you. Now is your chance to listen or watch your favorite high school teams compete on the YSN Network. Covering multiple sports from more than 50 area high schools, as well as Youngstown State University Baseball and the Mahoney Valley Scrappers, and so much more. What's that? No longer live in the Northeastern Ohio or Western Pennsylvania area? No problem. You can go to YSNlive.com on any browser or download the YSN Live app available on both the App Store and Google Play. So you can listen wherever you'd like to start your sports binge and streaming experiences today. Now back to our podcast. Welcome back, everyone. So as I was saying before we went to the break, uh, historical data to me is extremely important, when, especially when you're trying to get to the origin of the problem in order to solve uh, the problem. And this is such a complex problem. And when I um, was looking at some of the data, and there was a couple of videos I watched, and there was just a little bit of research I looked into, um, I, I saw this one this one video that that really piqued my interest, and it was a panel uh, that um, it was from the University of Melbourne, Australia, and the panel there were different um, clinical psychologists and people who are experts in, in uh, you know, dietitians, nutritionists, people from foundations that work with people with eating disorders on this panel at the university. And it, I think they called it a uh, psyche hour uh, where the University of Melbourne does this once a month or once a week, it might've been. And it just happened to be eating disorders was the topic of discussion. And one of the gentlemen there, uh, Dr. Scott Griffith, he stood up first and he gave about a 10 minute speech on the historical data behind eating disorders. And I, I wrote some things down. And so when I was, because it, to me, it fascinated me some of this stuff and some of this stuff here, I'm just wondering if it's something you've ever heard before, or maybe if it's something you can just add to what it is that I'm, I'm talking about here. So the first known written down um, account of an eating disorder was in 1689 and it was a Dr. Richard Morton and he didn't, he didn't give a name to the actual disorder. He simply had two patients. One was a male, one was a female. And he simply wrote down that they both seemed to be withering away despite the fact they had all the food they could possibly need in order to stay nutrition, uh, to stay um, to avoid malnutrition. So, and that was it. And the, the weird thing about it was nothing else is really mentioned about eating disorders for approximately 200 years. Everything that went on for the next couple hundred years was basically written off to 
uh, and I'll give an example, uh, religious beliefs. In other words, what I'm assuming there is uh, fasting, uh, you know, fasting, different religions. I, mean, I think all religions have fasting in them to some extent. And so people were looking that way because of that. And, and some other, some other examples they gave that I can't think of off the top of my head. So it wasn't until, um, as I, I have here in my notes, uh, the term anorexia nervosa was finally implemented. And it wasn't until approximately, uh, 200 years later that it actually came out and it was, it was known as anorexia hysteria, hysterica. Have you ever heard that term before? So anorexia hysteria was what they first called it because, and this is way back um, late 1800s, 1900s with Freud. So when women had mental illness, it was typically referred to as hysteria and was assumed to be related to their different biological parts, uterus, breast, things like that. And so and women were also in that time thought of as weaker and more feeble. Like the word feeble, if you look in the research, comes up a lot. Um, and that, you know, if a woman wasn't eating, that it might be for attention, that it might be part of her frailty as a, as a woman. And then, you know, unfortunately, like Freud, the father of modern psych psychiatry and psychology, felt that for a long time, and he had, Freud had two kind of he spun this one theory of all women want to be with their, their fathers and men want to be with their mothers, like the Oedipal complex, the Electra complex. And then he kind of revisioned his theory into drive theory and he kind of left that behind and was like, oh, you're just stuck somewhere. But really, um, those Victorian times really solidified this, this belief that women were weak and that couldn't, they couldn't handle a lot of things and that if they weren't eating that it was due to their own hysteria, which is what every woman with any mental health problems and basically the, all of the 1800s and the 1900s were diagnosed with. And then that changed once mm -hmm. they realized that this particular problem was in men as well as women, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah, it took, it took men suffering from it to give the women, I think, more credence that this is something that's really happening to them and it's not made up out of a neurosis or something in their head and, and 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 so and that was what i read what you just talked about was yeah. in, in great deal of of what is what you have here i have here <laughs> because <laughs> because i am not so well versed uh and that's why you're on the show but um when it comes to when it comes to that which I thought I thought that was very interesting when I was reading about that, mm -hmm. but when it when it comes to that to that, uh, nineteen fifty two, they developed what we call the DSN one, and the DSN two I think was developed in nineteen sixty eight, which is basically a psychologist yes. Bible. It's our Bible for psychiatrists and psychologists, and it's DSM. Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, and um, it's basically evolved over the years. I mean, if you look back at earlier editions, um, if you were gay, that was considered a mental disorder. They didn't include autism. They included what they would include, Asperger's, which, um, you know, we've done a lot of research on, and that's no longer a given diagnosis. Um, hysteria was in the earlier, you know, manuals, and so these manuals are studied, you know, 
all day long by researchers in terms of, of their applicability. But if you look back at earlier versions, it's almost in some ways shocking um, knowing what we know now. Yeah, because in the DSN-2, which uh, again was in 1968 when it was published, uh, anorexia was mentioned in there as a feeding disturbance. Yes. And, and that's basically where they left it. And it wasn't until uh, a German um, psychoanalyst mm-hmm. in, I believe, 1973. I tried to I tried to remember without looking, but I couldn't. In 1973, when he finally started to point out, and I cannot remember the gentleman's name, uh, he started to point out all the complexities that went with this from a psychological standpoint. And it's really where it's so amazing to 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 think that I was actually born already when they finally started to recognize and realize how complex from a psychological standpoint these eating disorders are. And it wasn't until, if I'm not mistaken, 1979, when bulimia nervosa was first uh, um, basically given a name or actually originated. Right. And, you know, there's a category of eating disorders, but there's a lot of, you know, really significant differences in the criteria Um, for one disorder versus the other. And while there are a lot of underpinnings in terms of treatment that are similar, but there are also a lot of differences. So bulimia nervosa, binge eating, Mm -hmm. some things are similar, some things are different, different. pica, uh, anorexia nervosa, and several other eating disorders. I want to get into what are some of the similarities and some of the differences. And then I want to talk about one more thing today. But first, we have to hear from our sponsor. When we come back, we're going to get into that. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Two Brothers, One Mike is sponsored by Kitchen Apps, perfectly prepared portions. Hey, Youngstown area listeners, I know we've talked about Kitchen Abs in the past and all they have to offer in food prepping services and protein pancake mixes, but there's another great product they offer we had to let our listeners know about, their own name brand seasonings. They've got a huge selection to choose from as well. Turkey, taco, tomato basil, Baja citrus fajita, barbecue rub, blackened seasoning, as well as steak and meat seasons. And that's just to name a few. You know my favorite part? Besides all of the flavors, of course, It's that they're all low sodium, made with no fillers and MSG free. Know what else is great about them? You can order them right from the Kitchen Abs website. Just go to www.kitchenabs.com. Click on store and choose the flavors of your choice. Again, that's kitchenabs.com. Now back to our podcast. Welcome back, everybody. So today's uh, conversation is about a very serious uh, disorder, an eat, eating disorders, a very serious psychological uh, complex problem. Um, I I thought I read somewhere where they said in 2019, they finally started seeing signs of um, making way, uh, you know, as far as being able to um, tackle this problem and see positive results. Uh, It seemed like it was getting worse and worse and worse until 2019. And some of the biggest reasons were, have you ever heard of the Butterfly Foundation by any chance? Yes, I think it's in Australia. Yes, yes. Yeah, and and they're they're one one of the foundations that are leading the charge. And basically what they're doing is they use so many different avenues, such as social media. Um, And they put out 
three and a half million different advertisements talking about eating disorders, reaching out to people who don't really like to come forth sometimes with this particular problem. And that's something we'll talk about here in a minute. But um, it's, it's amazing that it's taken this long for something so serious to be addressed. You can't really, you can't really look at somebody and say that person has an eating disorder. It's there's so much more complex than that. Correct. That's true. There are cases with anorexia nervosa because one of the criteria for diagnosis is that they are um, noticeably below body weight. And that's, that's a little bit subjective, but, um, and there's a lot of issues that I won't get into with body mass index and BMI that a lot of people have a lot of issue with because it doesn't account for frame. Because like, I could be the same height as another woman, but our bodies could be built differently. And one of us could on a chart seem obese. But that aside, um, typically somebody with anorexia has a certain percentage below their um, kind of expected body weight. Um, and women need about 17% body fat to have typical menstrual periods. And so what we're talking about is many women with anorexia, their body fat percentage is going below that. And then we have amenorrhea, which is cessation of the menstrual period, which again, those are two key criteria. Those symptoms aren't typically seen in bulimia because bulimia, while anorexia is characterized by starvation, and refusal to eat with often other compensatory behaviors such as laxative use, um, very frequent or excessive exercise. What makes that different, because those symptoms can happen in bulimia, but what makes bulimia bulimia are episodes of binge eating foods. So typically high calorie food. Um, there's a lot of research that um, individuals with bulimia are drawn to high carbohydrate rich foods. Um, and what we're positing from that is those foods tend to increase your serotonin levels. And so we're really looking at serotonin deficiencies in people with eating disorders. So bulimia is characterized by periods of excessive eating and binging of food with compensatory behaviors like excessive exercise, restrictive diet, um, again, laxative use. And then binge eating disorder is somebody who engages in periods of binging and there may not be compensatory behaviors, mm -hmm. but there are emotional results to that of, you know, feeling guilt and feeling and really struggling there. Um, and then pica is, pica is interesting. It's when you, people eat non-nutritive substances and um, that's kind of, that's unique. It's an eating disorder because it's the food that's coming in, but a lot of the research points to severe trauma as the underlying cause of PICA. Sometimes in neuro, um, neurodivergent individuals, what, again, we don't know a ton about this, but it's been observed in individuals with autism, more the severe levels that there's an inability to distinguish like how this might taste, how that might taste and what's nutritive and what's not. Um, is, so yeah, those are a couple of distinguishing factors there. It could could we use the the word fixation uh, when it comes to pica? Somebody needing to have, um, I like with younger children, mm -hmm. um, when they uh, let's say at age four, no longer age three or four, no longer want the pacifier 
or you mm-hmm. try to wean them off the pacifier, but there's still a fixation. Uh, and so you, so you start finding them putting Legos in their mouth and, and, and smaller toys. And, mm-hmm. and so, because I actually know of, of a couple of cases where the young person has been diagnosed with pica. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of, I, I basically just described what the situations were. So that's an interesting one to me because typically with pica, the person is actually ingesting and digesting the food. And so I think you need a good diagnostician to know the difference between is the person digesting and ingesting the food um, or the substance because it's really not food, or is it a more of a sensory fixation that might have to do with a sensory processing disorder or a habit or an oral fixation. Um, and I have, I have a lot of clients who um, it starts out when they're younger, you know, those necklaces that you can kind of chew on and it's, it's safe, it's non-toxic. And then those are the kids who they might get better at managing it, but they always have to have gum or a water bottle or something. Um, so you just need a good diagnostician to know, is it, you know, the desire to swallow, ingest it versus, you know, more of a sensory thing. Yeah. And I, I know with one, one case, uh, there, uh, for sure on several occasions, there was ingestion followed by surgery, um, to remove yeah. the object. Yeah. So, so that was kind of a scary situation, but all is all is well. Um, but I, I know that, um, you know, I, I always wondered, I, I try to understand what that, what pica, where it fits into that particular realm of eating disorder. Yeah, because it's, because it's not, it's non, it's eating in a non-healthy way. And in my experience, um, I've seen a few cases recently where there's been some pica. I have a four-year-old client right now who had severe neglect um, and emotional abuse and had no medical care from, she was born in a home from basically from zero to about two, three. And she probably didn't have the supervision to know. So there was neglect. And so she might've not had enough food and was eating whatever she could find. And so I've seen that happen in a couple severe cases of abuse and neglect. Okay. Um, we, we, we've talked a lot about uh, bulimia nervosa. We talked about a lot of anorexia nervosa. We've mm-hmm. talked about pica, binge eating. We're, we're, we're missing a few. What, what are maybe one or two other types of eating disorders uh, for our listeners and our viewers today? Well, I mean, those are the key ones. I think what's important to talk about with this is body dysmorphic disorder. And that's closely related, not in the category of eating disorders, but body dysmorphic disorder can happen in, in, in many cases, not just with food or with somebody's size. It can also happen if you have somebody who has a major surgery, um, reconstructive surgery, has lost a limb, has lost a body part where their body is not the way that they perceive it. And having worked with eating disorder clients, you can stand in the mirror with them and they'll point out things that they are just not there. But you have to understand that that's what they see. And so part of the therapy is developing a healthy self-image. And there's a lot of movement, but there's the HAES movement, H-A-E-S. It stands for healthy at every size. Um, and it's, it's like you see a lot of social media figures and stuff talking about, you know, I like me for how I am, no matter what size I am. And I think with HAES, the cool thing about that is knowing what is healthy for you and promoting, you know, a healthy diet, which doesn't mean, I hate the word diet, I'm going to be honest, because our connotation with it is 
oh, I need to lose weight. I'm going on a diet. When really technically what it means is what food you consume in the day. And Thanksgiving is coming. And so that's why I was all about this because, you know, as somebody who teaches fitness classes, you know what I hear all the time is, oh my gosh, I ate too much last night. I'm so fat today. And I hear, well, I better work out really hard because so I can eat on Thanksgiving or I ate so much on Thanksgiving. So I have to be in the gym all day Friday. And to me, that's, that's just, that's heartbreaking in a way because we do, you know, food is a way that so many cultures use to bring us together and to put a pejorative label on that. Um, like that's not really fun. I and mean, we're talking about you know, if you break it down 365 days and like one big day that, yeah, Thanksgiving is about food and that's not easy for everybody. And I understand that. I really, really do. Um, at the same time, it's also not a reason to punish yourself. It's not a reason to go run 10 miles on Black Friday. Yeah. As, as a fitness trainer and, and Joe, in our nutrition shows, we could have taken what she just said and just put it right in to what I, I remember yeah. when she was saying certain things, Joe, I remember you talking about the same exact thing. I've mentioned yeah. this before. Yeah. And is there something you want to add or you just throwing the, yeah. Well, no, I, I was going to say real quick, you know, the thing about diet, that's one of the things we actually address. It's more, we, we like to use the term eating lifestyle because of what, you know, what, what, everything that goes along with the, with the, term diet uh you know and if you if you think about it again we we talked about this before i mean if you go back to the times of the dinosaurs right uh if they had a carnivore diet you never said well these animals don't they didn't eat plants you said they ate meat you didn't talk about what they didn't eat their mm -hmm. diet was meat <laughs> so you know it's it's just that whole idea so we we use the term lifestyle um healthy lifestyle and then of course there's the, what you're talking about right now and something i was actually going to bring up at some point today uh we're, the holidays are amongst us and this whole new year new me thing is starting to kick off and uh you know i i really suggest yeah. if 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 you're listening to this you go back maybe i'll link to that as well and uh give a listen to our our new year new me episode because we had a lot of good information in there yeah. And, and we talk a lot about this uh, in so many different shows that uh, we've done. But it's as a as a trainer, I think what bothers me is that people uh, so so Thanksgiving is coming up. They do so many different crazy things that think are going to help them instead of just enjoying the moment, enjoying the family, enjoying the social gathering. And they'll do things like, you know what I'm going to do? They'll tell me I'm going to not eat from from nine o'clock at night until three o'clock in the afternoon on Thanksgiving. And then I'm just going to stuff my face at four o'clock when we eat dinner. And I, I say to them, don't eat the way you always eat and then eat Thanksgiving dinner. And when you're full, then stop for a while. You know, it's not going the food's not going to run away. Uh, you know, and then if you feel like you want to uh, pick at some food, it's not something you're not, we're not trying to make this a, a habitual where you're doing this every day. It's a one day event. And it's, it's, it's sad when you see people like game planning for Thanksgiving because they're so afraid they're going to get on the scale and gain three or four pounds. And, and so uh, again, that's, you know, and that's where you know, it's so psychological and that's where 
you know, we start talking about these, these different types of eating disorders and how they play such a, a negative, uh, how much, uh, the negative effect they have on so many, so many human beings because of how we have this, this relationship with food that is, it's a love hate relationship. And I think it causes so many problems for sure. See, um, I, I take a different approach. I don't eat all day before Thanksgiving dinner. This is just my my own approach because I want to, you know, you don't go to the gas station when your tank is full, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I want an empty tank when I'm about to sit down at that Thanksgiving dinner because I'm know. as much as I, but see, that's a totally different thing. So, I, I'm doing that because I want to enjoy my dinner. I'm not talking about, you know, my calories. And you're not, if I'm gonna you're lose. not compensating. Right. It's not a compensation thing. Again, I just want an empty tank so I can fill up on the extra good food that's coming in the afternoon or evening. Before the food even gets there, your tank is full. And why don't you tell Dr. Rantella that's, why? Yeah, that's a whole other, it's a whole other substance. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Yeah, no, I, that has nothing to do with food. Yeah. <laughs> wine, wine, and more wine. After three classes, I quit talking to him. I, I <laughs> moved to the, other side of the, the other side of the table. Red red cab is is a staple in in my parents' home on the holidays, and well, I partake of said staple. So, um, so there's that. But in getting back to this, I think that the way that I would like to end the show today, and and I always say end the show, and that could go for five minutes, ten minutes, however long it's going to take. Yeah. You have, and, and you just mentioned this earlier in the show, you have worked with people who have eating disorders. When somebody first comes to you, do they say to you, I have an eating disorder? Or what is the process as far as being able to diagnose and then move forward in, in um, uh, helping that person choose a healthier lifestyle and make better choices over and I, I am positive this is a journey, right? This is this is almost like, it, it, dare I say, and correct me if I'm wrong, people who suffer from alcoholism, they'll tell you that that's a lifelong journey. They could be alcohol free yeah. for eight years, but there's a trigger uh, that they must make sure they avoid. Is it the same thing for this when when somebody is coming to you with that with the problem of an eating disorder? You know, it really can be. And I mentioned before, one of the things we're learning is that the place in the brain that we see activated with addictive disorders, there's a lot of overlap with eating disorders because, um, again, as humans, we're creatures of habit, habit. And so I've had a client that I started working with in 2007, and we don't, we don't meet all the time anymore. And, and she's in another city and I'm here. But Still, every so often, a couple times a year, even 15 years later, we touch base because for women especially, so women are, you know, have a lot of social pressure. And then what happens is they get their eating disorder under control. And then women are the ones who have babies. So I have found several clients where we have really conquered it. We're doing awesome. And then when they have children, they, and some of my clients, I give them so much credit because they've said, I'm pregnant and my body's going to change and I want to make sure I'm in therapy. So I'm processing that in a healthy way and across the lifespan, because, you know, as somebody in my forties, I know that my metabolism is definitely not what it was in my thirties and in my twenties. And you have to be realistic as your body changes. I can't 
do the things that eat what I used to eat, work out the way I used to when I was 20 and expect the same results. That's just not biology. So um, I think that a lot of treatment involves, you know, determining what is healthy for that person. And you can, you know, again, there's um, healthy plate, there's like the whole food that, you know, kind of regimen, there's a lot of things like that. I often work with a nutritionist and um, a good friend of mine, an amazing um, dietitian, um, which a dietitian is better, by the way, if you're ever looking for somebody because they have the credentials, the training, the CEUs. Um, Laura Zavadel, who owns um, Megabar, who co-owns that with Erica Fleming. Laura is really proponent of eat in a way that makes sense for your life. And I've learned that from her and we will refer back and forth. So I've had clients who have come to me from say Laura Zavadil or um, a medical professional who says we have identified this as an eating disorder. I've had clients who come in and it might be presenting with depression or anxiety. And I come to realize this is disordered eating as well. So it's, it's very common that you're going to have what's, that, what's called that comorbid diagnosis too, because to maintain some of the patterns associated with eating, eating disorders, they're really struggling with typical adaptation. And I could talk all day about where that comes from too, trauma, um, you know, issues centered sometimes around control, the alexithymia. If somebody has a hard time identifying and managing their emotions, what they sometimes learn very quickly is that eating food, they know how they're going to feel when they eat. They know how they're going to feel when they don't eat. And so, whereas the emotional states are tougher there, food in, food out, exercise and things like that, they get a sense of control. There's like, so everything you were just saying there, there's so many components. It's like if oh, eating, if, if eating disorders were, were, were the sun, all the planets and all the stars that are revolving around this, the, the eating disorders, mm -hmm. there's so many different avenues. Um, everything you just said that, um, and you, you're saying a nutrition, a dietitian is better than a nutritionist. Yeah, dietitian. So a nutrition, the title nutritionist, and this is important, I think, for people to know, whether it's around the holidays or, or that you want to kind of keep a healthy eating pattern and healthy things like that. Um, a nutritionist, and it, basically kind of anybody could call themselves a nutritionist if they study nutrition or take a weekend course. A dietitian requires a master's degree mm -hmm. in continuing education and certification. And dietitians are constantly engaged in evolving research and things like that and, and know how the body works intimately. So I'm a huge proponent of working with a dietitian, somebody like Laura Zavadil, who, and, and, and I'm not plugging her and I'm not, this is not a paid endorsement. I'm just saying that from my clinical experience of clients who very much need somebody to help them learn about food, that that's the way to go. Yeah. Well, you said you're not plugging here, but now I want her on the show. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I would, I would love to have her on the show. Um, there's, there's a million topics I could think of off the top of my head that we could actually talk about. Uh, I could see her on the show more than once, but, um, so we'll talk about that after. Um, so when it, when it comes to, when it comes to eating disorders, 
and how we approach it and, 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 and how we diagnose it and, and all the complexities that go into that. Is there, is there a simple takeaway for somebody who feels that they're, they're struggling? Is there just a simple takeaway or is it that complex of an issue that it's almost impossible to just have a simple takeaway from this? So let me say this: help is available and you can feel better. Okay. That's kind of the, in a nutshell, you know, I'm wearing a shirt that you can't read that says going to therapy is cool. Go for anything. I think for some people, and I see this with eating disorders a lot, depression, OCD, anxiety, it, the problem feels so big that they don't even know where to start. And so one of the things we have is the alexithymia, the struggle to identify the emotions along with anhedonia, which is lack of interest in doing things. And we have low energy. So sometimes by the time someone comes to therapy, they're not saying, I've been struggling with eating for the past couple of weeks. No, it's been years yeah. because they felt embarrassed, ashamed, unsure of what it really was. Um, and so by the time they come to therapy, they're, you know, they're really struggling sometimes. And I think, I don't think that I know this, actually, there's a lot of shame around eating disorders. Like, if somebody keeps getting the feedback all the time, why aren't you eating? You're so skinny. Like you mentioned, like, I hate the word skinny and then there's thin shaming. And I, you know, I, as somebody who runs marathons, I'll have people say, you can have that. You run marathons. Well, they don't know what my day has been or where I'm feeling or things like that. But people throw that at people. I have, you know, some small friends who all the time, I think they get that pressure a lot. You just don't know what someone's going through. No. Number one. And let's, as humans, we've got to remember that you never know what someone's going through. You never know what their idea in life of seeking help has been, the messages they've gotten from other people. Um, and I just want everybody to know if you don't feel okay in any way, shape, or form emotionally, go to therapy. It helps. If you, if you don't click with that first therapist you meet, there are a lot of other therapists out there. I tell my clients that too. If you don't feel like we're a good fit, just tell me. I won't be offended. I will help you find somebody. Yeah. So and it, you can get better. Yeah. And what, when you were just talking about that uh, real quick before we talk a little bit about next week's show, um, the Butterfly Foundation that, as you know, is uh, out, of the, um, uh, out of Australia uh, the big thing that they that they approach and, and that they go after is teaching the general public how to be a little more um, uh, what is the word I'm looking for here um, understanding of of people who may be going through this type of um, psychological disorder eating disorders uh, and be a little more caring and understanding. And it's also the big, another big thing they do is with people who feel ashamed because they may be going through any of these disorders that yeah. we spoke about today, teaching them how to be okay with knowing that people are there to help you and feeling more confident in being able to stand up and say, this is something I'm dealing with. Even if they don't know they have bulimia, they know that yeah. they have a problem and they teach them how not to be embarrassed by it, not to be ashamed. There's so many people with these problems. Uh, go seek help. And and that's why someone like Dr. Nicole Rentilla is here. 
uh, to help you. And so it was when you were talking about that, it dawned on me that I had read that about that particular foundation. So yeah, I think as much as we can reduce stigma around all, I mean, it really it's a mental health issue and we've come a long way. So part of the reason that the, say the name anorexia shifted is because we realized this isn't something that is something just in someone's head. Nobody wants to feel bad. They just don't. Even if they can't name it, nobody wants to feel bad. So there's help out there. Yeah. And that, I mean, that that's good stuff. That's really good stuff. And this is the type of show right here where we're going to start talking about next week, but it's, it's a, I feel like no matter when we stop talking about this, we haven't covered everything we need to cover about no, something haven't. that's so serious. So I say that uh, I'm going to literally, when we're done here with this show today, put it in my notes to make a part two to go with this particular show, because there's just so many other questions that I want to ask. And I'm sure there's so much more information that you want to give. Um, I, and I you guys, I could talk about this all day because as an athlete and as a, you know, yoga instructor, spinning instructor, bar instructor, you know, how many times I teach what six sometimes classes a week. Oh, I'm glad I'm here. I ate so much last night. Well, I don't know. I'm just trying to promote a healthier attitude. And that's one thing I love about yoga is the self-acceptance. When you see all the other benefits of exercise, exercise is not a punishment for food. And so I could talk about that all day with New Year's resolution coming. And like that one drives me kind of bonkers because don't make a temporary resolution. Like, how do you want to live your life as a human who feels awesome every day? I am writing down right now. Uh, you were, <laughs> you were actually, we did a show called yoga, uh, putting mm-hmm. the Y in yoga. And yeah. we talked about all the benefits at that point in time, I did not know you were a yoga instructor. I found this out right after. And then I said oh. to Joe, Dr. Rentella is the perfect person to have on to follow up on putting the Y in yoga because she obviously as an instructor can give so many of the, she basically will be able to uh, solidify all the benefits that we um, mentioned in that particular show. That was a while ago when we did putting the Y in yoga, but um, as a, as a, as an instructor, as a professional trainer, I agree with you 100% that exercise should never be what you're doing in order to compensate for what you ate. Um, it's, it's not, it's not the two do not exercise has its own benefits that have nothing to do with that. And, and I've, I've said that on the show before. Uh, and so we will definitely not only go back to eating disorders and talk more about that, um, and maybe even gear it more towards uh, exercise. But we will also be having Dr. Nicole Rentilla on, obviously now, for yoga and putting the why in yoga part two. That's awesome. <laughs> and, and, and speaking of exercise, Joe, what is next week's show? So next week, we're going to be talking about agonist and antagonist muscle groups and what we need to know on how to get the most out of both of them. Tony, what you want to go on about this? I, I've I, never, I've never heard of these before. No, um, no, I, 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 I hope you did because I read them from your notes. So, <laughs> no, yeah, so I'm not going to get into too much here because obviously we're going to do a show about this. But when when you're talking about agonist and antagonist muscle groups, you're talking about I always use the term opposites attract. So, folks, if if the bicep is the agonist, it's the primary mover. It's if you're doing a bicep curl. 
your biceps are contracting. So the tricep, which is the opposite side of the arm, is your antagonist mover. And and your quadriceps, your hamstrings, your abdominals, your lower back, your chest, your upper back. And, and when you're using these, you're using these muscle groups together. One is extending, one is contracting. And one of the biggest reasons and one of the biggest things I want to talk about next week is mobility and stability, Joe. Because these muscle groups work together to stabilize your joints, your knees, your hips, your shoulders, your elbows. And so we're going to talk all about that next week. And I think anybody who's an exercise enthusiast or somebody who is just getting started in exercise, it is extremely important to understand when you work them together, when maybe you don't work work with them together, and why it's so important to understand the ratios of difference when it comes to the strength. The quadricep is a lot stronger than the hamstring. You have to understand that because when you talk about knee problems, that's one of the easiest ways to cause your problem to cause problems with your knees. And just that's just an overview of next week's show. All right. Until then, I want to remind all of you: be sure to give us a rating or review on your favorite podcast service. Also, if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, or opinions, you can leave us a message via the link in this episode's description. And finally, remember to join us every Wednesday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, on behalf of myself, Coach Tony, and Dr. Nicole Rintilla, thanks for listening. Be the best you out there, everybody. Dr. Nicole Rintilla, thank you so much for everything you brought to the table today. Once again, as usual, never, ever disappointing. And uh, we'll, de- yeah, we'll definitely get into this again, for sure, for sure. Take care, everybody. Be the best you. Bye.